Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley to podcast about making work better. What a week I had. I was in America. I My flight back got cancelled. And so I contacted British Airways. And for the same price, they just diverted me through Washington, D.C. So I found myself in Washington, D.C. for election day. Hung out in Lafayette, Lafayette Square. It had all been sealed off. But um, I hung out in Lafayette Square, hung out Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is the the road that leads up to the White House, and then uh, went to watch the results in a bar. Uh, There was was less cheering than I was hoping because it was so desperately inconclusive, but good result overall, I thought. And uh, Joe Biden's climate plan, if he can get it through the Senate, is, well, I mean, it's even more radical than than Bernie Sanders. So it's going to hopefully inject some of the money that's needed to to get the economy going it's going to direct some of that money uh, through a really ambitious plan for renewables wind power and and solar power absolutely brilliant if they can if they can do that it's truly going to be we're going to look back and say wow that election was one of the things that really put us on a, a track to resolving climate change so fingers crossed on that I adore his plan. There's a link in the notes. If you're interested in climate change, there's a link, link in the show notes to to his climate plan, which is truly AOC worked on it and other people worked on it. It's truly the, the, the best, the most hopeful thing of his election. Just before we get started today, as ever, you can always sign up to the newsletter, which is, you'll find it at eatsleepworkrepeat.com. And the newsletter is just the, the best source of the latest discussions about improving work, conversations about what we what we can do to make remote work more enjoyable, the latest research. If your boss or anyone at your organisation is saying, what should we do next? I try and aggregate some of the, the best research that we're finding as we go along. So you'll find that at the website. Right then, a, f- a fantastic episode today. When I first started this podcast, the podcast was about, it was meant to be about happiness and work culture. I'm sort of mildly obsessed with happiness. What's the way into being happy? How can we, any of us, create happiness? And the the podcast really started off like that. And it's evolved into how to make work better now and, and improve work. But really, I'm always interested in how we can be happier at work and happier in life. And so today's guest, I saw him on a clip that went viral maybe four years ago, three years ago. And the clip, I'm going to play it for you now. The clip was of this Google director, leader. Um, He was talking about how he'd found the way to make himself happy again after the tragic passing of his son. And in this clip, he sort of brandishes... A, he's, he's holding a, a half full glass of water up and he, he holds up the, the glass of water and he starts talking about it. So I'm going to play the clip now. The clip goes on for about uh, two minutes and then I'll fully introduce Mo Gouda. Then I'll fully introduce Mo Gouda. Happiness is in looking at the glass and seeing the truth of the glass, seeing the half full side and be, being grateful for it, seeing the half empty side and saying, can I do anything about it? And if not, can I accept it? Truly, Happiness is not about what the world gives you, how much water is in this glass. Happiness is about what you think about what the world gives you. Happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the way you see the events of your life and your expectation of what life 
uh, of how life should behave, right? So if life meets your expectations, you're happy. We mix two states. One of them is happiness and the other is fun. Happiness is that peaceful contentment feeling of, I like the world as it is right now. Fun is the modern world's replacement of happiness. It's, you know, when I am unable to reach that state of happiness, what I do is I go out on the weekend and I go to a party and boom, 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 and my, my brain stops thinking. As long as it st stops thinking, I feel, I think I feel happy. Not because I'm actually in that peaceful state of happiness, but I, because I suspended my unhappy thoughts. I lost my son all of a sudden, like from, you know, from having a, a happy holiday together to losing him was four hours. And the question that hit me at the time was, what can I do now to bring him back? And nothing I could have ever done, including locking myself in a room and crying for the rest of my life could bring him back. And to me, the whole idea was, I can either choose to suffer or I can choose to sort of accept life as harsh as it has become and reset, make that the zero point and try to make it slightly better than it is today. So let's make it slightly better tomorrow. Wouldn't it be amazing if I can reach out to 10 million people and just give them that message, which by the way, seems to work. Everyone that hears it says, yeah, it makes sense, okay? Can you imagine a world where 10 million people are happier? It wouldn't bring Ali back, but it would be slightly better than the day he left. So there was the clip. It went viral. I think immediately Mo found himself. He reached more than 10 million people with that clip. So he, he, he updated his, uh, his ambitions based on that. So let me introduce him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Mo. So Mo, Mo Godat is the former Chief Business Officer for Google X, a long-term Googler. In fact, you know, my path was sort of vaguely overlapped with him. I don't think we directly uh, met each other there, but we were we were part of the uh, the leadership team at Google while I was I was there. Um, and and he's the author of a book called Solve for Happy. He's also the host of a podcast called Slow Mo, and I'll link to that. I'm on uh, his podcast this week, actually, talking about my stuff. His book, Soul for Happy, came out in 2017, really dedicated to the way that he found his own way back to being happy after the passing of his son, Ali. And I've really, I really enjoyed the book. As I mentioned, I not only did I buy it myself, I, I got it on audiobook as well, and then someone gifted it to me. I think it's one of those books that when people read it, they think, oh, wow, I want to pass this on to other people. The discussion we're about to have today... I think he's partly scientific and partly philosophical. And I think that's the real power of this. Mo really tries to be bring an engineer's perspective to trying to deconstruct what makes us happy. But then more than anything, he's phrasing, he's thinking, has philosophy really at the heart of it. You know, asking some of the questions about why we do things and, and why we might think certain things. It's a really brilliant discussion because it goes everywhere. And, and I think, you know, truly, you could probably ask Mo about 50 different things and he comes up with an answer in each case. So um, it's just, he's, a, he's truly a delight to talk to. So you're going to find links to a lot of the stuff here in the show notes. These links to the original clip that went viral, if you wanted to share that. You're going to find links, you're going to find links to his book, to his podcast. So here he is. He's the former boss of Google X and he's the author of the book Solve for Happy. He's Mo Gaudak. Mo, I've been fortunate enough to, to be on your podcast and we were discussing on that, which uh, there's, there's a link to it in the podcast notes. Um, and uh, on that, I mentioned to you that you'd been uh, you'd been a dream guest of mine because when I first started my podcast on workplace culture, but when it first started, my podcast was about work and happiness, and so I saw your um, your arrival onto the scene as, as a, a Google colleague who I'd never actually known. But you, you became this sort of iconic figure. So I am so thrilled. Yours is the sort of book that I, I own. I, I mean, I've got two two copies that are found in paper. But I also own the audio book copy. So, it's, oh my god! It's okay, <laughs> this is this is why I've been selling well in the UK. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly the sort of book that people gift for others because it moves them so much. Let me ask you this to kick off: You feel like a, an unlikely poster child for happiness. 
how on earth did you find yourself obsessing about it? Because your journey started far before any sort of dramas that we'll hear later down the road. How did this become your obsession? Yeah, it's actually, I agree with you. I'm I'm not your typical happiness guru, right? Like, I'm not going to tell anyone to say, um, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, have a, um, you know, a, a meditation today. I think, first of all, I have to apologize. If I knew, I would have been on the podcast. I don't know. Maybe I missed the email because my workplace culture is so bad and I'm really horrible <laughs> with emails. And I apologize for that. And I'm delighted Listen. that we're here. Let, let me tell you, you were trending on Twitter over here. The, the Channel 4 clip that you did was sort of this this thing that, you know, if people accompanied anything with it, it was crying emojis. Oh. It was like, you know, and so there was no conceivable way that I ever expected to reply to my email. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were clearly, you'd, you'd clearly just touched something that was really intimate, visceral, and, and you connected with people. Um, so look, you know. I, th- I, th- I think that's exactly the case, Bruce, when you really think about it. It's, it's sad, not that we're sad, but it's sad that we're not acknowledging that we all want to be happy. Okay? It is sad that we're not acknowledging that life uh, has been given the kinds of priorities that we were told to, to give to it, but that we actually, this is not what we want. And, and I, you know, my story is not any different. I'm Maybe I, I was a, a lot more fortunate than the average person because I was born and raised in Egypt. I had public school education, public university education in Egypt. I'll tell you openly, I started my career at IBM in Egypt. My ultimate lifetime dream was that maybe 11 to 15 years into my career, I'd be promoted to sales manager in IBM. And look at how far I've come. Huh? And, and that happened very early in life, by age 29. Uh, I had everything everyone, you know, spends a lifetime trying to achieve, you know, the, the cars, the, the big villa, the swimming pool, my, my ex-wife was wonderful, the most wonderful woman on the planet. Right. And I had two wonderful kids and I was miserable. And, and, and it's actually not unlikely because I, you know, since I started working on happiness, I train all walks of life on the topic. And sometimes I train small groups of incredibly high net worth individuals between, you know, multi-multi-millionaires to billionaires, and they're enormously unhappy. And the idea is, it is something so fundamental to us to be happy, but yet we never really, really prioritize it. We never really make it a target like we make our number of customer meetings a target or like we make um, achieving our quota a target and so on and so forth. And I remember vividly the moment at which things turned when, you know, I had, I had my wonderful son Ali who was a tiny little Zen monk that brought wisdom and calm to our life. And I had my little daughter, Aya. And Aya is life itself. And I don't say that lightly. She is full of that sunshine energy. And, and, you know, she was the one that always jumped around and took my hand and took my, my, my wife's hand. And we took us out on a Saturday and did things together and so on. And I remember vividly one day when Aya jumps in and, uh, you know, I think she must have been six or something. And she goes like, Papa, Papa, we're going to do this and that. And I'm like... Uh, answering an email or some weird stuff that we put our lives into. And I said, can we please stop the noise? Can we be serious for a minute? And I could see my wonderful daughter's heartbreak. I could see it with my eyes. I could see her eyes tearing up. I could see how stupid my comment was. What's serious? She's six. Of course, I literally put down my phone or whatever that was at the time. And I basically looked at myself in the mirror. I got up, I went into the bathroom, I locked the door. I was crying. I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I don't like this person. This is not a person that I want in my life, let alone in my daughter's life. And that started the journey of trying to figure out what this happiness thing is. But I'm an engineer. I mean, of course, I'm really spiritual now. And I was reasonably spiritual then. But I don't understand the lingo, if you want. I don't understand the mysticism. I sometimes don't get the philosophy. I want facts and numbers and data and equations if I can. And so that provided a very unusual take on happiness. That I think is why my work is liked by some today, right? You know, so, so people who have prioritized the, or, or were forced to prioritize their left brain like I was, ended up finding that sort for happy and, you know, and my work there 
to be to be what they wanted to hear a logical uh, systemic approach to happiness what will surprise people a, a lot about what you say is you believe happiness is if not the equilibrium we return to it's the default mode it's the it's the Absolutely. it's the it's the way that we were designed to be built and so somehow we've subverted the system that this unhappiness exists at such scale across the the whole world Absolutely. why is it the default mode look i mean one of the things i do that i uh, believe upset a few people but please a lot of people is i don't normally believe that citing a stanford university uh, research is as powerful as citing your own self and your own experience and so i i'll, I'll ask you and the and the audience look at any child look at any infant uh, you know when they are born of course there is a little bit of fussing and crying and so on but really look at them when their basic needs for survival are met when they're fed when they're safe when they're given love when they are warm when there is really no threat to sur- to their survival what is their state they're playing with their toes and giggling the default setting in our basic design as humanity is calm content uh, you know, not dreaming of an Xbox to be happy, not wanting anyone to like your uh, bum shot on on uh, Instagram to feel happy. You don't. You you simply are happy by definition if there is no threat to your survival. Unhappiness, believe it or not, is the anomaly. If you want, it's the change that comes on top of the baseline, and it comes for a purpose. Unhappiness is a survival mechanism. It is the ultimate survival mechanism, not only in the physical world, but in the psychological world of the complex being that we are. So you think about pain being a survival mechanism because pain, if you touch electricity, you pull your hand away, that saves your life. It's a very valuable part of your design. Similarly, you feel worried that uh, you said something hurtful for your friend or you feel uh, regretful about it you pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry. So it's the same survival mechanism in our social, complex, tribal being as humans. You know, fear of, uh, of upsetting someone or fear of, you know, losing a loved one or regret for, se- for doing something you shouldn't have done or worry about preparing for the meeting tomorrow. All of these are useful. They're negative in nature. They feel like pain, but they're useful in terms of triggering us to do the right thing with our life. But they're not the norm. There is nothing wrong with feeling pain, by the way. Even if you could choose not to feel pain and switch it off, you'd still keep it on. There's nothing wrong with feeling negative emotions. It's good for you. What is wrong is that it's become our lifestyle. It's become our everyday habit. We started to learn to accept it almost as if it's the little tax that we pay for success. It's like, okay, it's fine. You know, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be annoyed every day. But it's good, you know, it's good because if I can do that for 20 years, I'll make enough money to leave it and then be happy. That's stupid. But tell me, diagnose for me then. So um, back in that room with you having broken your daughter's heart with with your distractible sort of serious approach, what was the provocation that forced you to get it so wrong that day? We, we, we can talk about the entire model that I use for, for happiness. But for me, of the model, which is, no, which is now known as 675, there was only two things that were causing 90% of my unhappiness. The biggest of them was something I learned at work. Okay? And what I learned at work was the illusion of control. Until I started to blindly attempt to control life, I was the happiest person you ever met. You know, life sometimes comes exactly as I wanted to. When it didn't come exactly as I wanted it to, I could still enjoy it. And then something in my psyche told me that the kind of control I get paid for at work, which is to, to deliver results on time, despite sometimes fluctuations in what life offers you, I, I, I assumed I can get this and transfer it to my normal life. I assumed I can transfer it to my daughter uh, having fun at certain points, but not other points. I, you know, to my um, wife, believe it or not, please don't judge me. But I used to give her spreadsheets on when to 
wash whites and when to wash colors because that was better for the environment. And I had the right intentions, but how stupid is that? And, and wonderful Nibel, my ex, would, would smile at me like the wonderful woman that she is. And she says, oh, sure, Habibi, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, I will use them. I will use them. And completely ignores me, right? But that illusion of control puts you under the threat of unhappiness in two ways. One is it takes so much effort to control a reality that is uncontrollable. Because remember, the basic design of our universe based on physics is chaos theory. It's entropy, right? Entropy is why everything exists. And entropy is everything will decay and break down unless you attempt to control it. So the amount of effort we put into things to try and control them is enormous, right? And that in itself is a reason for unhappiness. The other is it it completely breaks the, uh, the happiness equation. So my entire work around happiness assumes a simple equation that triggers happiness or unhappiness, which is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. Every, every time you ever felt unhappy wasn't because of a certain event. It was because that event wasn't what you wanted life to do. Okay, you know, it rains. If you want to water your plants, it makes you happy. If you want to sunbathe, it makes you unhappy. Uh, you know, in itself doesn't have a, an inherent value of happiness. So when you're suffering the illusion of control, Bruce, what ends up happening is you start to realize that you're constantly comparing your events to an unrealistic expectation that everything will always be, be within your control. And so you're endlessly disappointed, like everything disappoints you. Right, your customer is supposed to show up at you know seven a.m. They show up at seven o two. You're upset. They booked a meeting for an hour, but they stayed five minutes more. You're upset. They stayed five minutes less. You're upset. Right? You get into traffic. You're upset. It's like you're trying to control everything, and life is never within control. Okay, and that was my biggest, biggest reason. But I've suffered from all of the other illusions, right. believe it or not. You've hinted that you've got a model for this there. So, so aside from the sort of the, the equation that you've just given there, the, the, the model that you hinted at, what was the, the way that you found your way to this model? And, and do you want to just talk us through what the yeah. model is? Yeah, it's, yeah I'm, I'm weird. You know, I'm a software engineer, right? So to me, to me the assumption was the following. Uh, and I know it sounds weird. I really apologize for the weirdness of this. I basically t- looked at myself. I said, until age 26, I was the happiest person you can ever meet, right? Is it and that stark? You, you were definitely happy. And was, then within three years, so you were happy. definitely unhappy. I was so happy. I was so happy. Nothing could dent my unhappiness, right? And then, you know, something made me miserable, like depressed, right? Uh, and my assumption was, okay, like an engineer, there must be something wrong with the code, right? Like there is a bug somewhere or maybe the hardware is not compatible. Something has changed. So like an engineer, I was basically going like, let's debug what happened, right? It's very simple. Huh? And, and in a stupid way, I started to tell myself, okay, maybe instead of trying to debug a hundred million situations because life is full of so much complexity, maybe I can find an equation to describe it. By literally, by reverse engineering the machine, I took as many moments in my life where I felt unhappy, plotted them on as many charts as I could against the, uh, you know, the, my height, my weight, the amount of, uh, of food I ate, the amount of hair on my head, whatever, right? And, and basically eventually ended up with that idea that it is, it is events minus expectations, okay? But that, like I celebrated, I remember vividly, I was in a, in a coffee shop when I wrote that equation down. Of course, as a mathematician, I wrote a more complex equation with 19 parameters and logs and logarithms and what have you, right? But then I simplified and said, it's basically events minus expectations. I got it, right? If I can fix what's making me unhappy because my default setting is happy, I will find happiness constantly. And then it became so clear that something's wrong with the equation. Why? Because at age 26, I had nothing. I was just graduated. I had my wonderful college sweetheart accepted to marry me. Uh, I just had a job at IBM. I think they paid me $70 a month. Okay. And I had nothing. By the 25th of every month, we would have to start visiting our parents a lot more often, a lot more uh, you know, passionately because they had food we didn't. 
right? And it's just, and, and we were the happiest people ever. Then at age 29, I had everything, everything. So how come am I still unhappy? Events are equal. No, no, events are better than expectations, right? The trick was this. The trick was we solve the equation wrong. We factor in the wrong events. We factor in the wrong expectations, right? And when you factor A, a wrong A minus a wrong B, you're going to get a wrong C and you're going to always be unhappy. It was, it's not that life is not meeting our expectations. It's that, it's, it's, that, it's that we're calculating it wrong. And so I started to look for the things that blur our view of the event. Of those, I've, I found what I call as seven uh, uh, blind spots. And the things that blur our expectations or blow our expectations out of realism, right? And of those, I found six grand illusions, okay? And so I started to, uh, to walk into those and say to myself, what, what are those? Six grand illusions are the illusion of thought, the illusion of self or ego, if you want, uh, the illusion of uh, knowledge, the illusion of time, control, and fear. Okay, you factor any of those into your look, your the way you look at life, and I can guarantee your expectations are going to be completely out of whack. Right, uh, the the seven blind spots are basically um, our brain's way. It's not a bug in the code; it's an actual feature, design feature in the code. Your brain is not there to please you. Your brain is a survival machine. Okay, it is supposed to look for what's wrong in life and alert you to it. Hmm? So it has features in its design that makes it grumpy all the time. You know, Stanford University did a, a piece of research that basically said that people who are grumpy uh, or negative are believed to be smarter. Uh, you know, in life, they did another piece of research that basically six, said sixty to seventy percent of the thoughts in an adult brain are negative, right? How can 60 to 70% of the thoughts in your brain be negative when you're living in the UK, when you ha you, you know, you're being a, a, um, uh, given um, M&S food to make your life a little easier? When there, I mean, like, our life is not in Syria. Our, you know, when you live in the Western world, you're not living in Syria, you're not starving in India. The events are mostly meeting expectations, but your brain is using those seven blind spots to blur them because it's better to be safe than happy. So, so your brain wants to show you that things are wrong because if you can you know, think about it and discover they're not wrong, you'll be fine still, but you're going to be unhappy in the process. So fix the seven uh, blind spots or see through the seven blind spots and fix the six grand illusions and you'll be happier a lot more often. You mentioned there the, the events and the expectations. And I just wonder, is this why increasingly we're seeing some Gen Z talk about wanting to manage their expectations that maybe they don't want to be part of a, a rat race? They don't want to necessarily get caught up in this because it seems to me that one of the things that created your unhappiness is that as our expectations go up, we're now in a career. If we don't advance, mm -hmm. <laughs> then we haven't lived up to our expectations. Totally. And to some extent is if, if there's a generation of people, young people saying, actually I want my expectations to be that I'm living a really predictable life working in a bookstore. I'm, I'm working in a really predictable life. I know precisely what I'm going to earn and when. Is, is that one of the reasons why societally we might see changes in, oh, yeah. in people managing their expectations? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so, so there are three layers to this question. One, one is, does lowering our expectation make us happy? And the answer is absolutely, undoubtedly yes. Right? If you, if you go to India when some people don't expect to eat every day. You give them one bowl of rice and they're happy, right? Uh, you know, you, you go to a restaurant in the UK and if the uh, waiter brings the, the, the food a little, uh, you know, a little colder than you wanted it to be, you'll be very grumpy, right? Uh, it's because your expectation is I'm paying for this, I should get the, the best service, right? Now, the opposite is also true, by the way. Huh? Uh, meeting your expectations, surprisingly, does not make you satisfied Somehow, when expectations are met, we keep increasing them, 
right? So, you know, in, in uh, countries like West, uh, Northern Europe, they measure something called the subjective well-being. It's, uh, you know, basically it's how uh, easy is it for a human to live in that society. It's the quality of life. And even though it has the, the highest subjective well-being, those countries have the, the highest subjective well-being on the planet, they also have the highest suicide rates. Because somehow, when your expectations are met, you, you constantly keep itching them higher as if you have a service level agreement with life, right? It's like, okay, you know what, life, you're not supposed to upset me at all. You know, where is the quality of living that I am promised, okay? And, and, and so you're, from one side, lowering your expectations make you happy, makes you happy. And, and by the way, meeting your expectations, uh, unless you're very aware, hmm, doesn't lead you to always, to always to happiness. Sometimes it leads you to setting more expectations. The trick here is the following, though. Those expectations, most of our expectations, Bruce, are, are conditioned into us, okay? And, and when you talk about Generation Z, because they debate and because they have access to so much information, because they see what we've done to the planet, right? It's not that they don't have expectations. They have realistic expectations that actually match what they want from life, okay? Because honestly, I had 16 cars in my garage. None of them made Get me happy. Get out of here. I, yeah. I did, I apologize, <laughs> right? And I, 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 none of them made me happy. I haven't, I haven't driven a car for more than five years. I'm the happiest person ever. And, and the difference is a mindset. If you set your mindset right, you start to come up with expectations that must, might, might not necessarily be easy. I mean, I'm, I'm setting an ambition to achieve a billion happy, right? To, to reach a billion people with a message of happiness. That is one serious target. It doesn't make Tell me, me you, you originally had 10 million, no? I did. And that video that you spoke about got to 87 million with 10 of right. them, or more, with more than 10 million of them actually taking action. So, so the way we measure the mission wow. is... Yeah, it's, it's, the mission is not that we issued a video and people saw it. That would be cheating, right? We want people to, to, to prioritize their happiness and spread happiness to others, okay? And so, tell, tell me specifically that. So you've set a goal of a billion people. So how would they do that? So a, bil a billion happy is very straightforward. One, one is I want to convince you that happiness, not any other lie uh, that, that, that the modern world has conditioned you to believe, is your priority. Okay, that you that if you were given a choice between a job that makes you happier for certain and a job that gives you that pays you a thousand pounds more for certain, the first job doesn't pay you the thousand pounds more, and the second job uh, makes you miserable. Okay, you're if you have any connection to your reality, you will actually choose the happy job. Okay, mm -hmm. you'll say as long as what I'm paid is enough for me, enough enough to make me happy because that's the given, I'll choose happy, right? The trick is we're conditioned otherwise. We're conditioned otherwise, meaning uh, we don't prioritize our happiness. So my number one task is to tell people, cut the middleman, cut the middleman. We think that our jobs make us happy. We think that Armani suits make us happy. We think that cars make us happy. We think that you know an attractive uh, girlfriend or boyfriend makes us happy. Ask yourself the truth. How often is that attractive boyfriend or girlfriend the reason for your misery? Okay. How often does you know does your 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 job or title is the reason for your unhappiness? Huh? Your, your priority your priority should be happiness first. That's step number one in the in the mission of one billion happy. If I can convince you of that, then I expect you to do one of two actions. Action number one is if you prioritize something, you'll start to invest in it. And I ask people simply, can you? like you go to the gym to be fit, can you uh, go to the happiness gym three to four times a week, one hour a day, okay? Can you watch a video that makes you happy? Come listen to my podcast, come listen to uh, you know, a, a documentary, whatever that is. And if you take an action three to four times a week that makes you happier than you're investing in your happiness, that's action one. Action two is, can you have the compassion in your heart now that you know how wonderful this feeling is to want others to be happy? So you share what you learn. I don't want you to share my video. It doesn't matter. Uh, you share my video, share uh, Kartoli's, whoever. It doesn't matter. Or just pre prepare your own video. But take an action that makes another human happy. And, and that could be simply by talking to your sister and telling her what you learned. 
if you do the three, you prioritize your, your happiness, you start to invest in your happiness or you, uh, you m have the compassion and take the action to make someone else happy, then you've joined our mission. So they're very practical actions, actually, because I guess, you know, people hearing you talk about these theorems and, and equations might think that this is all sort of theoretical, whereas, in fact, these are practical actions that anyone can take. Absolutely. When, you see, when you're sitting down with those high-performance managers, or I think I, I told you earlier that a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine, said that you'd run a, a course at Google for, for people at Google, and it had changed her life. When you're in the room with those people, are these the bits of advice you give? Is it very different yeah. what you advise when you, you're in a room with those people, just these small incremental steps? Look, happiness is not different when you're at work and when you're at home. It's not different when you're Latin or you're British. It's not different when you're male or female. It doesn't matter. Okay? Happiness works exactly the same way. And, 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 and the trick here is the following, huh? You, it applies itself differently. So, for example, one of the biggest bugs of the modern work, as you call it, is that blind ambition that more is always better. Okay? And, and, and so it manifests itself in the disappointment of the illusion of control. It manifests itself in the illusion of ego because I haven't been promoted, they have been promoted, and so on and so forth. Right? In those situations, I will go back to people and say, look, by the way, there is nothing wrong with ambition. Huh? You can be ambitious as long as your expectations are realistic. A billion happy is very ambitious, but it took Jesus 2,000 years to reach a billion people. Who am I? Like, I'm never going to reach a billion happy, but it's a nice ambitious target to aim for after 10 million, right? But my expectation is if I can make you happy today, Bruce, that's great. That's a great day. If I can make our listeners today a little happier, then even better right? That, that's the expectation. And, and so when, you, when you're in the work environment, that meeting of events and expectations becomes quite different because our work environment is artificial in many ways. So, so when you uh, were on, on, on my podcast, you, you spoke about that idea of, for example, the monk uh, mode, right? Monk modes at work are completely, you know, alien to some people. It's like, I'm going to close my door. I'm not going to respond to email within three seconds. I'm going to spend time alone and not connecting with people in meetings. It's like, what is that? And my, and my view is monk mode is important for your default mode network, as you always talk about it. It's important for your clarity. It's important for dedicating certain amounts of your brain bandwidth to, to things that matter. And those are things that are your priority so that you don't burn out, okay? And if you start to put those things in place because you're in charge of your happiness because happiness is your priority, because you are investing in your happiness, then you will get there. And so many of the concepts that we learn in our artificial world today, whether that's at work, whether that's in social media, whether that's in the, uh, in the, in the, in the you know, when you walk, walk into a cafe in the morning, you're in that serious mode. You're, you know, like, I don't want to waste anyone's time. One latte macchiato, please. And, you know, you forget that the person you're talking to is a human. These are the kinds of things that I encourage people to, to change, to reflect back. Like I reflected back and I said to myself, my biggest illusion is the illusion of control. Reflect back on your biggest illusions and make that your focus. Do you think a few of us, and you've talked about these blind spots and illusions, and I'd love to delve into a couple of the illusions in a second, but do you, do you think the, the biggest mistake that a lot of us make is we believe that we can defer happiness? Oh, you know, yeah. we're all familiar with sort of the, the marshmallow test where, you know, we're told that if we, if we delay gratification, that it seems to lead to good results. And I can definitely envisage you, sorry for imagining you but as a 29 year old thinking well if i defer my happiness for five years then i'll be so much further up the the greasy pole that you know i can make everyone happy then and do, do we make the mistake of believing that we deferring happiness till this this no, payoff point it, it, we make we make that mistake believing that it's the right thing to do my mom i love my mama she's made me uh, everything that i am but 
my mom had an explicit advice. She said it was in Arabic. So it basically meant, you know, be careful with your money for a year, uh, be unhappy for a year, and then you'll live happy for the rest of your life. So it was basically the advice we all got from the war years. You know, life is not to be trusted. Uh, an insurance policy is more important than your happiness. Okay. Get to safety first. Get your insurance policy first, which means have a job, have a solid income, have a place in society, and then happiness will figure itself out. And by the way, tax is okay. You know, you can spend a few years of your life unhappy because eventually you'll be happy. In one of your talks, remember you said executives tend to laugh or the more senior we become, the the, the less we laugh. Yeah, and I actually will tell you openly, there was a point in my life where I said, well, like, what happened to that laughter? Laughter was really disappearing from Mm. my life because of the seriousness. And what is better than laughing your belly off? And so it's not only a mistake, it's almost sold to us as everything else is a mistake. And of course, we're capable beings. If you prioritize something, you're more likely to achieve it. And so because we prioritize success, we're more likely to achieve it. And in the process, because we're prepared to sacrifice happiness, we're more likely to sacrifice it. Now, here is the smart thing to observe. Again, I'm not going to give you a, a statistic from Harvard Business Review, but here is the thing to observe. How often do you see someone who is rich, famous, swimming in money and cars, chased by all of the attractive ones? rock star committing suicide. Success obviously doesn't lead to happiness. Okay, at least it's not a guarantee of happiness. But the opposite is interestingly true. How often do you see someone just loving what they do so much that they they become so good at it and they they become very successful as a result? I interviewed on Slow Mo a couple of weeks ago, Romero uh, Brito, who is the most licensed artist of all time a Brazilian who came from poverty and then became incredibly successful. And you look at his art, and I told him on the podcast, I said, Romero, I mean, when I look at your, at your art, sometimes I feel I can draw like that, right? He's, he's just, he's so colorful and so expressive and almost childlike in his art. And, you know, but if I did this, no one would ever buy it. And he says, yeah, Mo, they, they're not buying my drawing. They're buying what I feel when I draw it. And because I'm so happy doing it, it makes everyone that sees it happy. And that is the trick. The trick is Romero just couldn't resist drawing all his life. Even when he was six years old, he would draw on newspapers, right? And because he loved it so much, he became so amazing at it that he became the most licensed artist in the world. And that, believe it or not, is more true and more often true than not. If you do something that you truly love, something that makes you happy, like Malcolm Gladwell says, you're going to do 10,000 hours of it. You're going to become one of the best in the world. I just want to go on to to one thing, but before I do that, I did say I was going to ask you about some of these illusions in blind spots, because it was the one about time being an illusion that was sort of interesting for me. So so explain to me why time is an illusion that contributes (laughs) us to not being happy. Okay, so I don't know how scientific your your audience is, but uh, (laughs) I think let's talk about time as an illusion from a scientific point of view and from a a philosophical point of view. An illusion to start is not something that doesn't exist. It is something that exists in a form that is different than we think is its reality. Let me say this again. So, So if you see a mirage, a mirage is you think there is water, but there isn't water. Optical illusions are actual, if you know, if if a drawing is an optical illusion, there is a drawing there. It's not that it doesn't exist. It just is very different than what your eyes see. So time exists in a form or another. It's just very different than what we perceive it. And, and, And that is really interesting because if you take time as science, take Einstein's theory of relativity, time is not the arrow of time, which is not what we experience. The arrow of time is actually the result of entropy. It's not the result of the reality of time. It's the result of we have to move along that arrow. But relativity will tell you that you perceive time differently than I do. 
that if you were moving, you know, if you've seen the movie Interstellar, if you're moving near a um, black hole, a gravity changes your perception of time. So you would feel that you lived for five minutes, but your crew back in the ship will feel that it's been 30 years. And that's actually very true. Huh? This is not, this is not uh, theory. Huh? They, they take uh, atomic clocks they put one of them on the ground and the other they fly around the world on a, on a jet plane in a very fast uh, manner. And that it's not that the clock's perception of time differs. The clock's actually one of them slows down. The one that is moving faster slows down. So in that sense, time is an illusion. Time is not what we perceive it to be. The only part of time that is real is this Second. No, no, no. Sorry. This second. No, this second. Every time, every second that passes is the only access you have to the universe at this one second in time. And so philosophically, when you start to think about it, you start to ask yourself, okay, have I ever lived in the past? Actually, no. When you lived yesterday, it was called today. Will I ever live in the future? No. When tomorrow comes, you'll still call it today. And because of that, the only moment you will ever live is right now. This very moment is the only moment you will ever live. But what do we professionals, well-trained professionals, what do we do? We're constantly living in the past, assessing our moves from the past, having regret, having shame, having you know uh, uh, reviews, having memories, having pain, torturing ourselves with the time when she told us she didn't love us and so on and so forth. Or living in the future, in, you know, basically thinking about what will happen tomorrow. Am I running out of time? Will you kick me out of the podcast? All of that, right? And, and, and because the, the, the past and the future don't actually exist, every moment you were contemplating the past and the future, you were not living. You were not in the present moment. You were inside your head. Right. And, and so you, I, if you're a fan of Pink Floyd, one of my favorite songs uh, appropriately called time, okay? They say, and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And isn't that exactly the feeling? I mean, think about it. For most of us, it feels like January 2020 hasn't even begun yet. Zoom, mm -hmm. It zooms by. And it zooms by simply because you are not living 2020. You're living inside your head. Okay, And I will tell you, since I started to discover that, I started to completely align myself with presence for every moment, every moment in my life, Bruce. I mean, I'm talking to you right now. I'm looking into your eyes. I'm focusing on your body language. I'm listening to every uh, gesture that you will say. I'm aware of the light that's in my eye. I'm aware of the uh, air conditioner outside. And once you start to live fully in that present moment, I promise you, life slowed down for me. So I've been doing this now for six and a half years. I promise you, those six and a half years feel longer than the 46 and a half years I lived before. Because I'm living them so, here. I'm not living them in my head. So, so this is why your feeling is what to discard distractions, to live every, every second in the moment. Is that the critical thing? The, the, so that, so, so the, the impact of time, the illusion of time on our happiness is very straightforward. Hmm? There is a world we live in that is called practical time. It's the arrow of time. It's you and I having to do this within a certain number of minutes. So we, com we, we measure it. We make sure that it fits within the, 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 the number of minutes. Okay. But then there is what I call in, in Solve for Happy, I call it brain time. Hmm? And brain time is that idea that you're in your mind thinking about the past and in your mind thinking about the future. So I did a very simple test. Okay. I listed down a hundred, I think a hundred of, uh, of the human illusion, uh, of your human emotions uh, in Solve for Happy. In one page, I took one full page. I listed down human emotions. And I looked at all of the emotions that we associate with the negative. So emotions that make us feel bad, okay? Most, 99% of all emotions that make us negative, feel, feel something negative are either anchored in the past or anchored in the future, okay? Most of the, of the emotions that are positive, that make us feel elated, feel content, and so on and so forth, are anchored in the present moment. So every emotion... Take regret. Hmm? 
regret is an emotion you're feeling right now but is it but what is it where is it anchored it's an it's anchored in an event in the in the past take uh, worry or anxiety or fear or, or panic all of the you know they're all the same family all of them you feel them right now but they are related to an event that might happen in the future they're anchored in the future okay so basically by me anchoring myself in the present sitting with you here right now completely focused with you not worrying about my startup not worrying about my uh, my you know if my customer signed or hasn't signed not worried if covid-19 is going to come back or not i'm with you here now what do i feel i feel excited i feel elated i feel committed i feel that we're enjoying a wonderful conversation and by the way if i had been thinking about any of those other things i would have been in a negative mood and so and so anchoring ourselves to the now and i'm not talking about this as a spiritual leader saying you know uh, um uh you know meditate and so on even though by the way those things incredibly work hmm? i'm saying savor every taste in life okay because that's the only moment you live by the way even savor the difficult moments in life sweet and sour is not delicious because it's only sweet or it's only sour it's that mix life is supposed to be those incredible mixes blends of emotions right and so savor them feel them connect into them you're having uh, you know an intense moment with your boyfriend or girlfriend savor it completely like really really tune into it give yourself to it and try to find the good in it and you'll be happy all the time more from my conversation with Mogada after this. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now back to my conversation with the author of Soul for Happy, Mo Godat. It seems very timely, actually, because I suspect a lot of people right now are in this new reality of work, are finding themselves on Zoom calls where they just quickly go and glance at their emails. They check their messages. They, you know, go and like someone's photograph. And, you know, probably more than ever before, each successive year, we're less in the moment. And it's sort of a timely reminder that, like you say, happiness abides in that moment. Tell me this, though. So we're, com- we're coming towards the end, and I want to ask you one thing. To some extent, isn't your focus on this something that transfers responsibility of happiness onto individuals oh, rather 100%. than onto systems? 100%. And, it, you know, I, I was reading something this week, um, a book by Sebastian Junger, which is uh, called Tribe. And it's all about how, uh, I'm not sure if you know this book, it's sort of a really it small is. book, but it's all about how whenever um, Americans, uh, the, the United States Americans, were captured by Native Americans, uh, sort of the, the Native tribes 
um, but uh, when they when they were captured, they almost without exception never wanted to come back <laughs> because they there was something about the materialism, the co- the competition, the the dog eat dog nature of yeah. of the society they were throwing behind. They never wanted to go back to it, and you know it's just a, a good reminder that some systems seem to generate happiness more than others. That they, they they free of this rivalry and competition, and. To, to what extent would your energies be better focused on trying to enact systematic change rather than individual change? No, I don't, I don't believe in systematic change at all. I think systematic change is our ticket to procrastination. Is that, I, I never know how to say that word, but it's not my native language anyway. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Huh? Yes. This is our, is, okay. uh, to, to expect that Donald Trump is going gonna, is gonna to eventually do something good is is naive okay to expect even that boris johnson which i respect is is going to ever have the power within him to change the systems to make you happy good luck with that right that's you know you are fully in charge and by the way to expect that coronavirus is going to uh, recede from the world gently because we started to get upset is like kiddish right you know i, I had a, a guest on slow mo that blew me away at the beginning, like at, in, at, the, at the core of, of the coronavirus, he, I, I said, so Kevin, what are you going to do about it? And he said, I'm going to come out of this better than I came in. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, look, I can't see my mom that often. I can't do my work as I, I, I used to. I can do this. I cannot do that. But now I have time. I can spend time with my family. I'm going to learn the piano. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to work out. And, and actually, I followed up with him and he's doing that, Right. Now, that's not because life has suddenly given him a personal trainer and a piano teacher and, uh, you know, uh, no, it's because he decided I'm going to be in charge. Okay. Now, while tribes, uh, you know, tribe, the the book basically describes that, you know, if you go and live with the Native uh, Americans, you're happier, right? It's also true, by the way, if you go and live in Latin America, by definition, they're happier. If you go live in Eastern Europe, by definition, they're a little more grumpy. They're taught to criticize everything, uh, you know, and so on. The truth, however, is you're living where you're living right now. You're working where you're working right now. You're with the partner you're with right now, okay? This is your life now. Hmm? And nobody is going to wake up tomorrow and systemically say, okay, by the way, all women... Uh, start to rub your men's feet because that's going to, you know, make the world happier. That's stupid. You know, nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and say, by the way, all men, uh, you know, uh, you from now on are going to buy flowers every day. If you expect that it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. The only way Mm -hmm. for you to find your own happiness is to start telling your boyfriend, hey, by the way, when you get me a flower once a week, it makes me so happy. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to make your life a lot better. Okay. And teach him. Right or 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 you basically uh, tell her, oh my God, baby, I'm so tired today. I came from work. It was so tired. I'm, I'm, it was so you know, or, you know, I was on Zoom calls all day. I'm so tired. Can we please not talk about this topic today? Take charge, right? And I and I mean that in every part of your life. If you take charge at work, when again, when you were on when we were recording uh, you on my podcast, I remember you said, um, you know, if you want to not answer emails on the weekend. Don't just ignore the emails. Have a conversation with your team. Say, guys, can we agree this? Can we make this our norm? Take charge, okay? And Mm. if you take charge, simply, uh, you know, to close maybe, I'll tell you happiness is exactly like fitness, okay? As a matter of fact, it it follows the same rules where the way we grow muscles, we grow neuroplasticity. You're you're very aware of neuroplasticity. The, The parts of your brain that you use grow, the parts of your brain that you don't, they shrink, okay? Mm -hmm. And so by definition, if you make happiness your priority, go to the happiness gym three to four times a week, okay? It's like fitness. If you make it your priority and work at it, you're going to become better at it. If you wake up every morning and watch the BBC telling you that politicians are corrupt, the coronavirus is going to kill all of us, the economy is going to collapse, you're becoming really good at being afraid. You're becoming really good at being bitter if you're following uh, conspiracy theories all the time. You're becoming really good at, uh, at you know, feeling bad about yourself if you're watching, if, if you're reading gossip uh, uh, tabloids where, you know, everyone seems to be having a wonderful life, uh, you know, on, on, on social media or on, you know, the celebrity profiles or whatever that is. 
teach yourself, choose what makes you happy and do enough of it so that the neuroplasticity starts to make it your second nature. This is really, it's, it's really that simple, believe it or not. Tell me, Mo, like I say, we're coming to the end. What's been the most inspiring contact that you've had from someone who has come across your work and has reached out to you? I mean, you've obviously moved a lot of people and inspired a lot of people. But is there anything that really am, stands I'm, out? I'm inspired constantly. <laughs> One of the very, very, very shocking uh, um, moments in my life recently. So I'm, I'm now going through a project I call Half Monk. Again, again, I know you're going to think this is weird, but I look at my spiritual uh, progress. I look at my happiness progress as a project. Literally, I use the same exact models we use at work. Okay, I build project plans, I do analysis, I use data and so on. And so I'm, I'm working on a project that I call Half Monk. And Half Monk is not really being a monk, but allowing half of my day to be monk-like, which is a really big target. Okay, mm. I'm, My current calculations is I want seven hours of the day to be engaged in uh, you know, meditation, reflection, silence, mm. uh, you know, and so on and so forth, and eight hours of the day uh, focused on my typical uh, productive work. Now, half monk is really something that requires you to be a little more away from the, the, the excitement of life, if you want. Until I had a conversation with Jason Silva on slow-mo, and if you, I'm sure you know Jason. Jason is an incredible poet, if you want, but he's also extreme in his um, being driven for awe, for experiences that are so new. I mean, ask, I asked him on the podcast and I said, so Jason, what's your, what's your answer to happiness? And he said, cannabis and new experiences. Openly. Like, or the, I'm like, where did that come from? And he said, look, my brain has the tendency to wander all over the place. When I smoke cannabis, I start to focus in and zoom in at, on the moment that I'm in. And if that moment is a new experience, Okay, I will feel like I'm seeing an elephant for the first time in my life. And I'm like, man, that is so eye-opening. You know, I mm. spent my life trying to get to that moment of complete presence, to be completely in the present moment by practice, right? By being able to tell my brain, look, Focus on the building that's in the background of, uh, you know, of Bruce's wall. Okay. Focus, count the number of windows, see, you know, the moment. Okay. You know, Jason says the exact opposite. He says, just jump, you know, put yourself in an exciting new experience and life will pull you to the present moment. That was really inspiring for me. What was more inspiring and shocking is that the following week, I interviewed Matthew Ricard, who is a monk. Like He's known as the happiest man, man alive, right? And he's a monk for the last 50 years, was a, a, a PhD in cellular biology, okay? And, and Matthew was like, no, 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 no. This, life, is, you know, life is all about a moment of silence. And you ask me what inspires me, my problem is they all inspire me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly searching and researching. And I think that is what inspires me. What inspires me most is the illusion of knowledge, is the truth that I know nothing at all, okay? And that all I've told you today is my view of life. It could be right and it could be wrong, okay? But the excitement is to try and research it, to try and explore it, to try and debate it even with my own brain huh? when my brain tells me this is the way to go through life i tell it uh, prove to me prove to me that this is the way to go through life jason is saying differently right maybe he's right and i think that to me is where the inspiration comes Mo, it's been such a, a brilliant conversation. And like I say, it's, uh, it's our second conversation. But if, if someone wanted to, to find more of your work or a place to start, where would you advise them to go? I'd, I'd say follow me on social media, mo underscore gaudat in, uh, in um, uh, Instagram, uh, mo.gaudat.personal on Facebook, uh, mgaudat 
or no, it's Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn or M Gaudet on, on Twitter, right? And I actually respond to every message I get, believe it or not. I get thousands and I respond to every message that I get. I'm the opposite of you, by the way. I love voice messages uh, and I respond in voice <laughs> Uh, and uh, th- that's one thing. The other thing is definitely go and, and try uh, try out slow mo. Slow mo is not me talking; it's my wisest friends talking. Uh, so slow mo or go to your podcast player and find slow mo. Uh, otherwise, tons of YouTube video. Just so- search for Bogau that uh, and and do me that favor. Join the mission by not keeping them for yourself, but tell a few people and make them tell a few people because then we have an exponential function that makes a billion people happy well all those links are down in the podcast notes if you uh if you look down you'll find you'll find all those links so anyone who's who's inspired to find out more can do that and of course mo's book solve for happy is just uh, a wonderful as i say giftable the amount of people who've uh, gifted it to me so um very giftable book for you to to explore your own journey into happiness Thank you once again, Mo. I'm so grateful for your time. It's been a pleasure. So good to catch up again after so many years of not being in the same place. And I'm uh, looking forward that we stay in touch. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you to Mo. What a wonderful, legendary, intelligent, erudite guy. Uh, Fantastic. I really loved that. It was a real pleasure to, to finally get the chance to chat to him. What a, a lovely, humble guy. Hope you've enjoyed that. If you did like that, please sign up for the newsletter, which is, you can find the link to it at eatsleepworkrepeat.com. There's some great episodes coming up. There's um, a discussion about humour at work. There's a, a really powerful discussion with someone um, who suffered an extreme breakdown at work, and hopefully it's going to highlight mental health challenges in our jobs. There's a discussion with the neuroscientist, Lisa Feldman Barrett. Some great stuff coming up. Really appreciate you listening. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.